All right. So um, the and I, I don't know that I can really say that this is like the key point of the message. This is like the launching part of a train of thought that happens for me. So I am literally paid to talk these days. That that's my job. I have an engineering degree. Um, I my it's my job to know where everything's at in the development and production of our microchips. But at the end of the day, I don't design anything. I don't turn any knobs on any machines. I don't even walk parts from lab to lab. There's somebody else who does this. And it's, it's just my job to talk about it. So um, my, one of the things that I'm often challenged with at work is this idea of the so what, right? So when I have to tell the manager, the senior manager, the director, I have to tell them what is happening. What they always need at the end of that is the, so what? Well, that's great. Do I need to do something? Are you just telling me for information? And so when I read, and here I'm preparing for today, um, this was a verse that's been rattling around in my mind for some months and something I've been uh, focused on a lot. And, and the key for me was at the end there in verse 58 when it says, Now he did not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. And I thought, we could probably spend a whole Sunday morning talking about just uh, the lack of, of belief or that unbelief and, and how damaging that is to um, us as Christians. And then my brain quickly says, okay, well then so what? What can we do about it? And that's where we're going to roll from the idea of unbelief to belief, and then we're going to end up on what are some things we can do to help our belief. And so that's why we started out with the singing. I wanted to be very uh, focused with Chris on singing songs that everyone knew so that you could really get it out there. I've actually marked a certain song in the book that we sang, and I'll, I'll get to that here in a minute, and I'll explain why that was important. But that's what we're going to do. We're going to go from this idea of... Um, belief and unbelief and what that does and what that means and says about our faith and then we're going to roll into some action items that we can all do to try and improve upon our faith so i don't know that there's so much like a key verse as it is that's my launching point that's where we're going to take off from and so on that note let's go ahead and pray because i need all the help i can get lord we thank you for uh sunday we thank you lord for a day of rest and we thank you lord that our country still has um, this history and this notice that um, it is still common enough that we have days off, and, and particularly this one that's set aside. And Lord, we just ask that you'll help us to use this time to see how we might grow our faith. Lord, that we might use our faith to honor you, to bring you glory, and, um, and to um, just make our lives right um, the way that you expect them to be. In your name we pray. So, um, you know, now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And this is, this is key because um, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking, wow, literally they had heard and they knew that he did many mighty works. Um, it says, uh, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? So he had obviously done something and it didn't say that he didn't do any. It says that he didn't do many. So he did some mighty works there. And they had also probably heard the stories from the other places that Jesus had been going. But they just couldn't get it in their minds. And they said, no, I knew him when he was growing up. He, 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 he's the kid down the street. There's no way. There's no way. 
And so because of this, because they couldn't believe it, it didn't happen. And this is kind of a, an interesting thing, is, is this, this faith that we have or don't have in what God can do is really going to possibly limit what he does in our lives. And so if we don't believe God can do it, you know what? He's probably not going to do it, right? So um, that, that's kind of a scary thought, right? We pray for people to be healed. We pray that all the time. And, and if we have that nagging doubt in the back of our minds, then if we're not really believing he can do it, is he really going to heal them, right? And, and that's, that's kind of a tough one that we always deal with here in America. Um, when I talk to friends overseas or people from other parts of the world, when they pray for healing, they're, they're not expecting, you know, some slow, long recovery. They're generally looking for power, something amazing. And it's a, it's a different way of thinking about what God can do. Um, and so I, I worry sometimes that, that maybe I'm not exercising my faith more, more powerfully or that, that I'm not uh, using it fully. And so um, as, I, as I start from here, I started thinking about, okay, and, and I did talk to, to Pastor Kirk, you know, trying to make sure I'm not off on the beaten path making up my own stuff. Um, and so, you know, we talked about some things. One of the interesting things that um, really helps, I think, encourage us, particularly um, as we uh, look, look at our faith and look at the quality of it, I want to take you to Mark chapter 9, verses 17 through 27. I'll go ahead and flip there, just to give you a moment to flip. All right, and I'll start off here in verse 17 of Mark chapter 9. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son, who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And he's often thrown both him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think that here we see this father, he heard Jesus. Jesus said, if you have faith, this can be done. And he said, I believe. And then his very next words are, help my unbelief. So he knew there's something in the asking there, even when he's saying the words, Lord, I believe. He knows that down in his heart, there's still a little something wrong. Um, but even just that response, that direct response to Jesus, however small it might seem, this idea that, Lord, I believe, and yet I don't believe fully, just, just help me to believe, that was enough, right? Because this, this man's son was, was healed. Um, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And so we see that this young man was healed, and it didn't take some greater super amount of faith, but just enough to say, Lord, I've heard you. I believe what you're saying. 
please help me with the part that I'm still having trouble with because it, it's not full here. And so um, while we'll be talking about growing our faith today, realize I'm not saying you have to have some uh, Herculean faith that is, that is so amazing that you're going to be able to go out and do all these things to be able to have your prayers answered. It, it really doesn't take much. And that's one of the other things you'll find in the seats around you are the little bags. Um, I think there's enough that everyone should have seen them already. Um, so then I'm thinking about this guy. We have, we have this guy who had kind of like the baby, the starter faith, right? He said, okay, I believe you having a little trouble. Help me out. So then I kind of go all the way to the other end of the spectrum, and I end up at Matthew 8, verses uh, 5 through 13. And here we see somebody whose faith I think you guys will all recognize. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Then Jesus heard it. He marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. As you have believed, so it has been done for you. And this servant was healed that same hour. So again, this reinforces that idea that without the faith, um, nothing would have been done. But because he had the faith, because of this faith, it has been done for you. And so this was a man who had heard what Jesus had been doing around, and he believed it. He knew enough about the Jewish faith to understand that um, they had had great prophets, they had had miracle workers before, and he believed. And so that belief um, was translated into action for his servant, right? The first man had trouble having faith just to have his own son healed. This man was like, this guy will heal even my servant, and I just have to go talk to him. Um, quite honestly, if this guy had just been sitting at home, and if he had believed that Jesus would heal him just because of that, I would believe that he would have been healed just by the belief um, without even having to talk to him. But instead, we have this where he goes out and he talks to the man, and now his faith is rewarded um, as a story in our Bibles. And so for thousands of years, um, we have now been able to share this story uh, about this man whose faith was so strong that he says, just say the word. All I need to do is hear you say the word, and I know it's done because you're that powerful. And so this guy had some amazing faith. And then I think of, amazing faith and, and, and how it helped this man um, just to save his servant. Right? And so um, we, we get it in the Bible. And then I think, well, okay, so if I need to exercise my faith and I need it to be strong and powerful, what does that need to look like? And of course, I think back to the mustard seed. So that's over in Matthew 17. Now you know what is in the bags. Matthew, uh, Matthew 17, 
down near verse 20. All right. Uh, all right. So we'll actually run all the way back up to 14 because I know I'm probably talking fast. And when they had come to the multitude, he, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So you want to hang on to that prayer and fasting, because that is something we'll, we'll continue to talk about here later on. Um, we see again that same idea. Because of their unbelief, this thing wasn't done. Um, they had seen Jesus do works like this before, and they knew it could be done. They knew the power of God was there. Um, but even the disciples who have been with him for a long time at this point and have seen some, some amazing things, um, they're, they're still having trouble with their unbelief. And Jesus comes back and says, look, if you had faith as a mustard seed. So if you guys pick them up, those bags that are uh, sitting around, Ziploc bags, you can see there's a whole bunch of mustard seeds in there. <laughs> um, not just one or two. I figured especially uh, maybe some of the younger people or maybe some of the men like myself who don't really cook that much might not know what a mustard seed actually look like. Um, they're usually only mashed up in my fancy mustard when I have them. Um, but that's it. So realize as I talk now going forward about growing our faith and, and stepping out in faith on various things, I'm not saying that, that you have to be some amazing person or whatnot, but you have to trust God. And, and once you have that starter faith, that teeny tiny little mustard seeds worth of faith, you can see God already working in your, in your life. You can see it in this one man's life, Lord, help my unbelief, and his child is healed. And that was, that was all it took. Uh, you're welcome to keep the mustard seeds. I don't know what you'll do with them. Maybe you'll make a tiny bit of mustard. Um, but I, ha I have plenty more at home when you buy it that comes in a big bag. Um, if you read the sister passage in Luke 17, the apostle said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. And then he says, if you have faith as the mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry, be pulled up by the roots and planted by the sea, and it would obey you. Just throw that in there in case anybody likes the one in Luke instead of the one in Matthew. Um, so, okay, now we're seeing there's kind of these le levels of faith. You've got your, your beginner starter faith over here, and then you've got your more advanced faith over here. And I think, how do you, how do you transfer? How do you make it across that spectrum? How do, you, how do you get from the beginner faith to the advanced faith? And what it really comes down to over and over again is obedience. When you hear something, you obey that, and then God rewards your faith. And then when you hear something new, you obey that. And so we're looking at growing our faith because God's giving us little things that we should be about for his kingdom and for his business. Uh, and so 
we go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, anytime you're going to talk about faith and the faith of the people of God, I think you kind of end up at least reading over it, even if you don't use it to tell others. And I'm not going to read all of Hebrews chapter 11. I'll read the first part, and then I'm going to read some, some key sentences, and then we'll kind of see a pattern developing here that I think will, will help get the point across. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God. By faith, Enoch was taken away. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. By faith, he dwelt in the land. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive a child. Uh, and then hopping down further. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. Uh, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. And so forth and so on, right? It's all these by faith, by faith, by faith. And we're very used to the by faith statements. Um, what's, what's most interesting about that in the context of what we're talking about today is that by faith, noun, action verb. By faith, noun being the person, did some action verb. And so their faith translated into some action, right? So Abraham was told by God, leave the country, and he left, right? So he exercised his faith. He, he actually put it to the test a little bit. He heard God. Now, if he heard God and said, yeah, yeah, I believe you. If, if I go down there, you'll bless me. I'm going to stay here. That faith would not have been an, an active and living faith that would have done him any good. Because literally the command was to go. And if he didn't go, he wasn't going to get any of the blessings. Right? So he obeyed, and he did what he was commanded in this, in this specific instance, and his faith was rewarded. And he had lots of other commands that God kept giving him. And he kept saying, Okay, Lord, here's the, here's the next thing. And he'd go and do that. All the way to the point that eventually he finally gets one son. And, and to a guy who's been promised to be the father of many nations, one son sounds like a very humble start. And now he's told, go kill him. Take him up on the mountain. So at this point, okay. He's, he has tested his faith repeatedly. God said, go and I'll bless you. God has already blessed him with significant material wealth at this point. He's one rich dude. Um, so this kid, this only son, who's going to be the one who gets the inheritance, because right, his other son from the extra wife, not going to get any of the inheritance. This kid is loaded. He's the crown prince. He's going to be rich. And so um, he's already gotten some of the benefits of, of obeying God. And now he's told, go put this son to death. And he believes that as long as I obey God, everything's going to turn out. Does he know that God's going to prevent him from killing him? No, he doesn't really know that. For all he knows, God's going to let him kill this son and bring him back to life. Or, you know, he might even think that God will let him kill this son and he'll be rewarded with another or more. He just 
knows what he's been commanded. And he says, I will do that because I trust that God knows what's best. And so we see all these folks, and you can read through Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll see they're not all necessarily sound like action verbs. You know, Enoch was taken away, not very active. He was kind of there, and then he wasn't. Um, but that is something significant about his faith. He's actually, uh, I think, one of the two that we think will, will come back in Revelation. So um, he's still going to use his faith to do some amazing actions. Uh, we're just waiting on the close on that story, I think. Um, and so uh, we think of, okay, our faith, we've got these actions, and now we come back to that one book that, that sometimes gives folks trouble. I end up over in James uh, chapter 2. All right. James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So, again, that idea. If Abraham said, I believe, but he doesn't do the work, which was to obey, he doesn't get the benefits. He doesn't get the promise. And so, just over and over again, to me, this is... Um, this is a lot like exercising our muscles, right? When you want to lift weights, um, you don't go out there as a new weightlifter and just uh, pick up a 100-pound dumbbell and just start curling. That doesn't happen. Um, you don't even just pick up a 50-pound dumbbell and curl it. I promise you that is quite a significant amount of weight, and I don't think, I don't think anyone in this room could necessarily just run in there and pick up a 50-pounder and curl it a bunch of times. Okay, maybe one. Uh, but, uh, right, we all start somewhere. When I started in college, I think uh, I was a skinny kid. I was 148 pounds at six feet tall when I went to college. I had to start with 20-pound uh, weights to curl. And eventually, I could get up there, and I could curl some significant weights. But it took time and practice, and you have to start with those little things. So we have these little commands of God. Go do this your faith is increased. Go do this, your faith is increased. Go do this, your faith is increased. And so, um, just like working out. You don't go to the gym. You know, Pastor said it. He's a, he was a big runner, so he always talks about running. You don't go out and run a marathon, right? You go out and you run as far as you can and you come back. And you do that a few times and then you stretch yourself and you try and say, let's go further and come back. And you go further and you go further. And eventually you work yourself up to a marathon. Um, I don't think I could do a 100-yard dash very well right now, so I won't use running as an example because it's just not in me. Um, so we have this muscle, then this gets me to, okay, what can we do to exercise our faith muscle so that we can hopefully get it up from something so teeny tiny it's smaller than the mustard seeds you guys have in little Ziploc bags and get it up to at least mustard seed status, if not better, Okay. So that's where we're going to end up for today. Um, I do want to say it is possible to grow and um, 
So let's go to 2 Thessalonians. How about I just read it for you, and we won't make you keep flipping. Uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and your faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that endure you. And, and this one is, so we talk about, you know, I give the example of, of weightlifting and, and growing your faith that way. Um, one of the other things that happens is uh, you find out just how far and how fast you can run when you're really scared. Um, the other night, my kids and I, we were out by the park. They wanted to fly their little spin copters. These are um, little rubber band launched uh, sticks with wings on them, and they have an LED, so they're coolest to fly at night. So we went down by the opening uh to an, to an open space, and the kids started uh, flying their little copters there, and the sun was down, and it was dark, and um, that whistling sound apparently really got the coyotes interested, and I heard one, two, three, four, I don't know how many coyotes in a hurry, and they were right out there in the open space somewhere, and so next thing you know, my kids who really don't run much were running very, very fast back to the median. And, and their ability to run was tested. And I think they're going to be a little bit faster <laughs> from now on because they realize they can. Um, we didn't see any coyotes. Everyone was safe. I'm pretty sure they were very far away. Um, it, was, it was a very interesting test. Uh, but that was a simple one, right? But that was, that, was that, that testing there. And we see here that God's people, um, especially we think of our brothers and sisters back when, when India was really hot just a couple of years ago, um, they had new leadership there, and they had some severe tests of their faith. And when you, your faith is tried under that, that's a severe test, right? So that's a real strengthening of it. I am not encouraging anyone to go to a hot spot of Islamic terrorism to test and grow your faith. I don't think that's necessary. I think we can grow our faith here, and we can use it to glorify God here, um, so that, that's not at all what I'm saying. I just wanted it to be clear. Uh, there is this other thing that happens. We don't see it here so much. And, and I know pastors talked about it. We don't, we don't see it so openly. We normally see it uh, as the wearing away. I think as politics gets the way it gets, we might see more open challenges. Um, certainly, if you want to be a small business owner in this climate, uh, that could very well be a test of your faith uh, here in America. That could be quite tough. And so, um, this this is this is not necessarily the end where you want to get to trying to grow your faith, but just kind of a a bonus, if you will. It was it was something that that stuck in my mind, and I wanted to throw it out there, especially because Pastor is um, in Manila right now. He's meeting with brothers and sisters, uh, well, probably brothers mostly, uh, from around the world, um, from places that that are having some severe persecution. And for them to go out and to go to Manila and meet with each other, uh, for many of them, is, is a very big, relaxing time for them to just enjoy that fellowship and to have that. And so th this sticks out in my mind for that, for the idea that, that we do have brothers and sisters we need to pray for um, because their faith is being tested in a whole different way than what we see here. And, and we should never forget them. Um, but to, to focus on things that I think we can do, 
Um, I'm going to start from what I think are some of the simpler ones, some of the easiest ones, particularly um, for new believers, uh, for people who have maybe not um, been real active with your faith, things like that. Um, these, these are some easy things, uh, especially the first couple, that I think you can do. And one of the first that I come up with is be baptized. And um, this is really most famously given as a command that uh, we should bring to people. There's not necessarily like words in the Bible that says you have to be baptized because I don't think you have to be baptized, right? Jesus said to the guy who died on the cross next to him, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And we always know that that means that guy never had a chance to get baptized. It's not that requirement. But when we go to um, Matthew 28 and we go to the Great Commission, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So there's an implication there. And that is that when you become a believer, um, you should be baptized. You should take that moment to actually have that testimony in front of your families and friends. And I'll say, one of the things that I really appreciate about baptism is something that we've seen over and over again here at our church, in our neighborhood. And that is, I cannot get families to come to church. When you get Word of Life kids in here, their parents have zero interest in coming to a service. When a young person comes to a baptism, their family will come out of the woodwork to show up to a baptism when they will not show up to any other service. And so you, when you have those new believers, you know, we encourage them for the baptism um, because it's good for them and it's actually their first easy opportunity to get some mass witnessing about what God has done in their lives. And it gives a great chance to just show their family um, that God's making a difference in their lives. He's changing who they are from the inside out. And, and so um, for all the young people, I, I just will encourage them that, that they should really consider this. And, and, and for those who have been here, everyone's been here for a while, even if you were away and came back, um, we've seen it. We, we've seen the kids whose families just don't come. And, and, and it's funny because I've been out in the neighborhoods and you tell people about Sunday church and they're like, well, not really. You say, well, we're having a garage sale. Oh, okay, I'll be there for that. They'll come when we want to sell them our junk. They'll come when somebody in their family is getting baptized. Those, those are the two easiest ways to get people to this building. Only one of those two actually gets them in the building. The other one, we do the parking lot garage sale, so nobody actually comes in. Just a, a minor nit to pick. Um, but uh, I also know that for those who don't believe, I, I don't necessarily expect them to get have that desire to come. But for, for new believers, this is, this is our nice, easy witnessing. Because when you're a new believer, it is very intimidating to go tell your friends about this new cool thing. Because you were probably, not that long ago, making fun of believers with your friends, at least if you were a jerk-faced teenager like I was, right? This was not the cool kids were doing this kind of thing. And so for, for those who are new, it is, it is a, a great witness to their family and friends. Um, and so while not directly commanded, you should go do this, I think there's a strong enough wording in the Bible that says we should make this a part of our lives. The second one is the one we started the service with, and that is sing. 
And so we read Psalm 100. I'll also read Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So this is something we are literally commanded to do. So to not sing is to not obey a command, right? And, and just that idea, bring it back. We have a command, we obey, that grows our faith. And so one of the reasons why I love this command in particular is something that I discovered a long time ago in college, um, and that is singing makes you feel better. It is literally good for your brain. Um, and so when I was in college and, and I actually decided to start um, living for God again after having supposedly professed faith as like a 13-year-old and then not doing anything with it, um, I quickly discovered I felt really good after singing. Like I felt really good. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Um, and so it turns out your brain releases endorphins when you sing. And so this is a positive pleasure chemical that your body can produce. This is actually the sort of thing that drug addicts are looking for when they take illicit drugs. They're looking to feel this good by taking awful chemicals that will destroy their body, and you can get it by singing. So it's kind of funny, because one of these two things will get you thrown in jail, and the other one is something that Paul did while in jail. So. I don't think that's actually related. That's, that's just a weird fact. Um, if, if you look it up, though, I, I, I love to try and give references. Um, my favorite thing about most Christian books is when you read Christian books on science topics, they give lots of references. When you read worldly books about things like evolution and why it's so awesome, they don't actually have a lot of references. It's mostly just people talking out of the air. Um, so if you, if you look it up, there was an Australian study in 2008 that showed people were happier even when they had greater problems in their life. Their happiness was not determined by the amount of problems they had in their life. But it did show correlation with singing as a habit they did. Uh, it was reported in the Sydney Morning Herald, and it was presented at a uh, public health conference in Brisbane. There's also a 1998 study that showed nursing home patients had decreased anxiety and depression. Um, so literally helping your brain be better by singing. One of the other reports, and I didn't uh, write down the citation on that one, said it was actually even more powerful when you sang hymns and not just any old pop songs. So singing your favorite pop songs might make you feel eh, a little better. Singing hymns and spiritual songs that God actually likes, those ones are going to have the most benefit to your life. So God has given us a command, and he's put a carrot in there. there there's, there's not really a stick on this one, right? There's, there's just one big carrot, and that is it's going to help your brain be more healthy and make you feel good in the process. Um, we love singing at Word of Life because singing helps you memorize things. Um, we, we teach the kids songs for the books of the Bible, right? Um, I've got some kids, they cannot hardly memorize a verse because they come in once a week, they try it for 20 minutes, and they can't remember a thing. But they come in once a week, and we sing the books of the Bible song, and after a couple of weeks of singing it once a week for maybe 10 minutes, they can actually have the 66 books of the Bible memorized. 
And so here's this great thing that gives you mental benefits, that helps you memorize things, um, which I think most everyone appreciates a, a good memory is just good for your overall life. And so it's a command. So this, this is a command we should be all over. This is like telling you to go eat your ice cream. Most of us don't have any problems following that command. I tell my kids, you need to go eat your ice cream. They never complain. Um, and so uh, that, that's just a huge benefit. And, and this, this idea of memorizing things, I'm going to use that to, to kind of springboard into the next topic. If we have these things we know about God and these things we know about his character, that's going to help us to have things that we can trust in him for. Oh, wait. I don't want to forget my bonus. Here's my bonus. Where is the CD? I can actually feel when the endorphins hit my brain. I can, when singing, if I'm paying attention, I can tell you at the exact moment when my brain gets a release of chemicals because I feel it. And for me today, when we sang in Christ alone, it was on the fourth verse, we said, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. And at that moment, when I sang that verse, I just felt it in my head. Felt the rush, and it was, it was there. So when we sing on Sunday mornings, I challenge you guys, as we're going through the songs, it may not be the first song, it may not be the first verse, but just keep singing, and sing it loud, sing it proud. I don't think we have any professional choir members in here, so there's no one to be ashamed of. Um, and, and you can feel that, and so that was kind of neat. I, I noticed that, that's what I noticed back in college, was way back when, that I'd be singing, and I'd feel this rush. Um, but it also gives us more knowledge, right? We sing songs that are about God and about what he's done. So, right, we hear things that God does. Um, we trust him in that. We act on that in faith, and our faith grows. When we sing these songs, we're literally singing about things that God has done, and so that gives us something else. Um, reading, that's the next big one. So, baptize, singing, reading. Um, this is why we work so hard at Word of Life, to get the kids to read their Bibles five minutes a day. That's all. Just read something so that you can grow in the knowledge of God. Second Peter, or Second Peter, uh, Peter 3.18, uh, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Uh, Second Peter 1, 5 through 11 but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he has been that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, we need to add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge, right? And where are we going to get knowledge? God's word, right? I actually saw a funny comic strip the other day. The guy was talking about how all these days we have all these sources of information. You can get this off the internet. You can store this on your computer server somewhere. You can do this here. 
But the problem is when the power goes out, this isn't here. When this happens, this isn't here. When your internet connection goes down, and the, the, the tagline of this comic, the joke was, I spent all this time thinking about how to save data until I realized I was reinventing the library. Right? So when it comes down to it, God, a couple thousand years ago, he knew the good long-term way to store his message was right here in a book. So God's long-term message has been stored here for a long time, and it's, it's for us to access it. Um, and, and by doing that, we can see. We can see that what is God's um, power really capable of? It's capable of healing the sick. It really is. It's capable of casting out demons. It is. By our faith. And so that gives us the knowledge, right? That gives us what we need to be doing. We need to be working on our faith, thinking about it. How do we do that? Well, let's find out what God does, and let's believe him and do that. What does God want me to do? He wants me to sing. Okay, well, I'll sing instead of standing there like a bump, right? And that's one of the hardest things is trying to get my kids to sing. They just don't believe me that it's good for them. But eventually, we'll get there. I'm sure of it. Eventually, they'll realize that there's a benefit for them. And then once they follow that, then hopefully we'll get to move on to something bigger and better. Um, and so reading through this, we see all kinds of amazing works that God's done. And I'm hoping that that's helping us to build our faith because we know we have something else to trust him in. If I said, trust me, I'll give you a dollar, you'd probably believe me because you know that I've got a dollar. If I said, trust you, I got $10, I got $100, right? At some point, your imagination gets kind of stretched because you wonder, does he really have it? Does he really have it? Whatever the thing is that I'm promising you, and, and I don't have $100 to get anyone, so don't get too excited. But um, you wonder, do I really have it? And what we see here is God's got it. He's got it. He's done it. And so we know that anything we could possibly ask he could make that happen for us. So that's why I think it's so important that we continue reading, that we know what he can do, that we can um, know that that power is available to us with faith as big as a mustard seed, teeny tiny little bitty mustard seed. Um, and, and it's quite honestly a blessing um, that we have this in our language. We, we know that, that people have died for that. And so um, it's... It's like the, the greatest gift, you know. Does anybody have a, a gift that you gave somebody that you found it just laying on a back shelf in the room somewhere in their house, and you think, oh, they didn't appreciate that gift at all? Or if you ever seen it re-gifted? I haven't done that. I haven't seen that. Um, but I know that my mother-in-law tells me, you can't sell this on Craigslist. Because when she gives us a gift, she wants us to enjoy the gift. And... And unfortunately, my wife and I, we enjoy things for a while, and then once we find them not useful, we're ready to, to move on with them and give them away or sell them on Craigslist. But, um, you know, that, that gift is here for us. Don't, don't give this away. Don't let it go to waste, right? Let's, let's put it to use. So, sorry, the Craigslist thing is just a random funny thing. Uh, praying and fasting. And so um, there is not a specific command you're going to find where God tells you you have to fast on this day for this thing or this item. Um, I throw it in here because in the New Testament, uh, these two things in particular are linked, and they're always linked together, especially when we talk about powerful acts of people of faith. I'm going to have to hurry. <laughs> um, 
And so Samuel considered it a sin to not pray for God's people. He said, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and right way. Uh, and then more specifically, Jesus taught a whole parable instructing people to pray. In Luke 18, he said um, that men always, he spoke to the parable to them that men uh, always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There is a certain judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And so I think it's really important in this particular passage that nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So our faith should be driving us to pray. And if we're not praying, Jesus has just linked these two things to showing that we're not exercising faith. We're not having faith. And so we really need to be working on that, right? I have a 45-minute commute on a good day. That's one direction. It takes me about 45 minutes. If I leave work really late at night, it actually only takes about 25 minutes to make it home. But during normal traffic, it takes me 40 minutes one way. That is a lot of time I know I can be praying or I could be listening to an audio Bible or something. I can, be, I can actually be doing these things. I don't pray with my eyes closed while driving. That's bad, okay? But you can pray with your eyes open. Um, but we've also read verses where Jesus said that the demons, they only come out with prayer and fasting. And so that's this idea. We are commanded to pray. Um, but again, I think we see a lot of examples where the praying and fasting are just linked together. These, these are like two halves of the same apple. And so um, it's not an American idea. It's, it's not very common in America to say no to anything. Um, and, and fasting's not always just food, um, right? There are other passages in the Bible that talk about spending time apart from other things. Um, but it is, it is usually considered food. But um, these two things are linked. When we see uh, Paul and Barnabas set, us, set apart by their church in the book of Acts, their church leadership was actively engaged in prayer and fasting. Um, when Paul and Barnabas set apart leadership for the churches they established, it was with prayer and fasting. Uh, when Jesus came down from the mountain and uh, cast out the demons, he had been praying and fasting. And so, again, we see both of these things. I think we have a direct command to be praying. I would encourage everyone to include some fasting within that. Um, and so... Uh, that's just, it's another thing. It's, it's a command, and I think there's some obedience that we could exercise there. Um, so we've got, uh, what now? I said we had uh, baptism for the really new. We had singing. We have reading. We've got prayer and fasting. So it's almost like two for one. Uh, and then five, share your faith. The Great Commission um, was go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, how blessed are the feet of those who spread the gospel of peace. Uh, this is what we are supposed to be about. God, for whatever reason, 
and his character in his nature has decided that the way to spread his word is through his people, and that is what we should be doing. Um, I, I'm not saying that you have to go out and give sermons. I'm not saying that you have to go out and be able to do what Stephen Martyr did, which was start in the Old Testament and go through the law and the prophets and talk about how this all pointed to Christ and that, you know, this. Um, but we should be sharing our faith. And so uh, when Jesus talks about people of faith, he talks about these idea of plants, right? Some multiply 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Uh, when they talk about the mustard seed, talk about it's this tiny seed that grows up into this great big plant. And so... Um, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about multiplying uh, the believers of God through the actions that we take, and that, that actions being sharing our faith. Um, to help you feel a little better about whether or not you're actually preaching sermons or whatever we're doing, uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about, he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. Now he that planteth and watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. And so um, you could be out uh, just telling people about what God has done for you, and that could be enough to water the plant that's the seed they've already heard. If you meet somebody that's truly never heard about Jesus, then you just need to tell them about his perfect sinless life and what that means for us who are sinners and that death that he died that pays for us. But you don't have to give some super eloquent hour-long speech on anything. You just need to tell them about that. And then I'd really encourage people, tell them what he's done for you. Because that's probably more important than anything else is what God's done for you. Uh, when you do it, um, it, it it's, it's easier. It's also easier to talk about because it's your own. Um, this is a quote I actually heard from somebody else quoting D.L. Moody. But D.L. Moody said, Out of 100 men, one will read the Bible. The other 99 will read the Christian. And so that's what people are looking for. They're looking for what has God done in your life that, uh, that they might see and believe that God is real and powerful for them. And then the last thing I think that we can do here, um, it's not really the last thing that we can do. It's just the last thing that we have time for because um, you could kind of just go on and on. And that's uh, giving. And in 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Um, this is not a command that they had to give away all that they had. This was not a command to embrace poverty and to go live on the mountains as a monk. Um, we, we know that one story, and we think about that, and everybody worries about that. Um, I think God's really consistent. He says the love of money is the root of the evil. It's not that you happen to have it. Um, but those of us who are rich in this present age ought not to be haughty nor trust in our uncertain riches. We should be rich in good works, ready to give, and willing to share, not storing up um, these worldly things that are going to rust away. Uh, and then, this is, this is something that's big in my heart, again, especially with pastor overseas meeting with brothers and sisters. We saw how big of a deal it was for us to give away scholarships of, of $10,000 for three different pastors to be able to make it to this conference. Um, so I wanted to be real clear on, on just who the rich are. 
Um, this has been real big in America lately. People talk about the 99% and the one percenters, and, and they're, they're screaming at the top of their lungs that the rich people have a responsibility to do more, and, and quite often these are rich people saying really rich people need to give me their richness because I'm not rich enough is all too often what there is, is who is actually sending this message, and that's a real shame. Um, there's a BBC article back in 2012 that uh, went over a bunch of statistics the UN had released at the time. So these are a little bit old numbers, but it should be close enough for today. The average world salary adjusted for purchasing power was $18,000 a year. Now the key here is this is actually adjusted for purchasing power. And that's important because my $100 in China goes a lot further than my $100 in America. And so you really need that adjustment to understand, okay, so the average Chinese person is living off the equivalent of $18,000 a year, right, the, in, in their currency per their buying power. The same for Russians, the same for people in Africa. So when you hear somebody try and compare dollars to some other currency, you have to always remember it's very important what that currency buys per unit in their country. But this number, the UN actually has lots of bean counters and number crunchers, and they said, okay, let's adjust for that so we can talk apples to apples here. And it's $18,000. So that means if you make more than $18,000, you are outperforming half of the world. You're automatically in the top 50% once you break $18,000 a year. Uh, that means if you make more than $18,000, uh, you're outperforming half, repeating myself. Um, per an October 2017 uh, Investopedia article, you're in the top world, the world's top 1% if you make more than $32,000 a year, $32,400. So top 50% when you get above $18,000, maybe $19,000 if you adjust for inflation over the last couple of years. If you're making over $32,400 as of uh, 2017, you're in the world's top 1%. Um, I think you're still in poverty per the United States statistics if you're below 40,000. I'm not real clear where the line is. I know it's, um, it's really bad if you're considered under 20, but in other countries, when adjusted for their economic situation, you're actually living on par with the rest of the world. So when I talk about the rich, it's a very big finger I point at myself, but I, I try and remind all Americans that we are the world's 1%, and so we should be um, cognizant of that when we think about what does it mean to give, and, and this should just challenge us. Um, but I don't want to just focus on the money. That, that's, that's one thing. Um, what I worry more about, actually, is our time. And uh, James 1, 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is to visit, uh, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. Um, there's a neat 2016 article in the Wall Street Journal. You can look this up and see the statistics, and they graph it out. The average American's day and what they do with their day. And um, after sleeping, which was about eight so hours, was... Um, TV, leisure, and sports, and that's kind of one big lump category, right? So TV, leisure, and sports was the next biggest chunk of the average American's day. Um, and, you know, I know pastors said that. People are worshiping in front of their God when they're watching TV while eating. Um, people spend more time doing household activities than caring for people outside of their families and civic religious activities, right? So the statistics are kind of weird. They ask some funny questions. When you look at... Um, 
caring for people, not your family, and civic religious activities, less than you spend time doing your household chores. You'll spend more time cleaning your house than you will helping, than Americans will helping others. In fact, the average American spends more time eating food than worshiping God and serving one another. So we literally spend more time at the dinner table um, than, than doing those things. Uh, really weird fact, another bonus, people without jobs, because they had the category with jobs and without jobs, people without jobs spend more time shopping than people with jobs. It's a really weird fact. Um, so uh, I've done this a couple of times. It's always the most uncomfortable exercise, and I've never shared it with anyone else, and I'm still not going to. And that is, do a diary of what you do with your time. Do it for a week. And write down, what did I spend my time on today? And just write it down. And it's really challenging when you get to the end of the day and you say, boy, is that really all I spent on reading my Bible, on listening to God's Word, on calling a brother or sister and talking about something important? Did I really spend this much time doing this worthless thing? And did I not spend hardly any time on things that matter? And, and that really... Um, is a good challenge, and so it's something I do periodically, especially when I find that I've kind of let it get away, and, and maybe I'm not doing as much as I should. Uh, it's, it's a great way to challenge myself. If you feel you're not very productive at work, it also works just for your work hours. If you go to work and you think, geez, what did I do today for eight hours? Write down what you're doing every 15 minutes. The funny thing is, is you actually will have really good records, because once you start that, you will instantly stop wasting your time so much. Um, so these are just six things. These are not all the things we could be doing. This is all the things we could fit in an hour. Um, I think we should start exercising our faith because if you don't exercise it, as James said, it's dead. Um, Luke 18, 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And that, that question is asked in such a way that really leads you to believe, no. Probably not. Not very much. Not what he'd expect from a world with 7 billion people on it. Um, and so that, that's a real hard challenge for us. Um, and of course, back in James, what does it profit if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And so um, I think we have some challenges. I've given us some nice simple things. Uh, if you follow the one about the reading, you'll find even more little commands. And those are just things that I think every time you read it, just say, let me go try that. I'm just going to try it. And let's just do that thing and see how our faith grows from there. And, and let's see what we can do. All right, let's go ahead and pray. And then we'll uh, pick up the kiddos. And we do have to pick up the chairs as well. Lord, uh, we thank you for this day, and we thank you, Lord, for a chance to come and study your word together. I ask, Lord, that you will help me to be diligent in my reading, in my praying, in my giving, and my sharing of my faith. Lord, that, um, that my faith would be something that uh, is useful to you, something that would help build your kingdom. And Lord, I ask that you will help all of us to do the same. We do ask, Lord, that you would care for pastor as he's in a foreign country. Um, just keep him safe and, and uh, able to meet lots of brothers there and, and be encouraged. And Lord, again, bring him home safely at the end of the week and give him uh, good energy and rest on the plane that he might be ready to teach again next Sunday and, and to share with us the wonderful things that you're doing around the world and uh, brothers and sisters that we don't see every day. In your name we pray. Amen.